This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. All right, good morning. registered for today. Yay for this topic. So give yourself a hand. So I was afraid, and I think I told you guys this last month, that we were going to have a topic called hospice and palliative care, and we're going to have five people, and they're going to be sitting right here. Right? Yeah? But what this tells me is that uh, this is an important topic. Yeah? It also tells me that there is a lot of common misconceptions and a lot of misinformation out there that people want to get cleared up. So Chris, I'm a little bit loud. If you could help me out there. No? Oh, too loud, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. All right, good deal. So, those of you who are new in the room, my name is Nikki Buckaloo, and so raise your hand if you're new today. Back here. Welcome. We're glad you're here. One person new here again. Awesome. So you guys came for uh, a, the hardest topic that we'll ever deliver, but maybe one of the most important. Yeah. Um, I want to recognize a few people before we get rolling on the panel today, just kind of give you a little bit of context for this conversation. So, uh, as you all know, we have some amazing sponsors back here, right? And we put our heads together throughout the year and before we start this and, and create the schedule, and we try, to, we try to include people in our sponsorship group that can add value from the front of the room, but also from the back of the room, right? So, like Heartland Sleep Center, for instance. They're not going to be up here talking about bedding necessarily from the front of the room, but we know that sleep is important to health, right? So we have people that are here that are committed to health and wellness, but we're also committed to having a little fun. Is everybody okay with having a little fun? Yeah, I think too many uh, senior topics, senior related topics are morbid. I think people think that everybody that's over the age of 65, all they do is think about dying. I'm really not sure why that is, but last time I checked, several of you have told me that's not true. Um, and so we try to have a lot of fun, for those of you who are new in the room, and we also want to spatter in some seriousness, right? Because we are moral. Uh, the last time I checked, we are. And as a matter of fact, before we get rolling, let me grab this book. I know I've talked about it before. Um, oh, what's up here already? Uh, how many of you read this book called Being Mortal? Raise your hand. Not very many. A few. Okay. I brought this book up before, and I'm going to tell you, it's probably by, well, not probably. It is by far one of the most powerful books I've ever read on the topic of dying, but also living in the course of dying, right? Because last time I checked, I'm, I'm dying right now. I'm 48 years old, and I'm dying. I don't have a terminal disease, but at some point, my body will give out, yeah? They have not cured aging yet. Did you know they're trying? Yeah, yeah, if you do a lot of reading, they are, they are, some people are calling aging a disease and they're trying to cure aging, which means we would all live forever. This book is a, is a realist view of what, of what it is to be mortal. It's written by Dr. Atul Gawande. It's called Being Mortal, 
The doctor's name is A-T-U-L, for those of you who are writing these down, G-A-W-A-N-D-E, Indian name. His dad was also a doctor, and much of the book is written about his dad's battle with cancer at the end of his life. There's also a PBS uh, special on this that is an abbreviated version of it. What I like about this book is the first, about the first third or maybe even half of the book talks about the history of senior living. So where we started with, you know, doctors who came to your house, to having hospitals, to having uh, nursing homes, to having what we have now is assisted living and independent living. So it kind of talks about the history of housing people as they age, and then it talks about the process of death and dying, and the cost to, to do that, and so on and so forth. Really interesting book. But in the course of reading that book and talking to a lot of our colleagues, what we realize is that a lot of people are not taking advantage of end-of-life services that are available to them, whether it's at a continuing care retirement community, or whether it's through our home care providers like we did a couple of months ago, or whether it's through hospice. And usually the reason for that is just misinformation. So we're going to be debunking some myths about that today. And before we get started, I'm gonna, I don't always do this, but today I feel compelled. If you were to take one thing away from this talk today, knowing what the topic is, what would it be? Give me just somebody shout out two or three little things so that I know. What would you want to take away? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Okay, good. What else? Pre-planning. Good, thank you. What else? Services. Services, thank you. Yes. How does hospice work? How does hospice work? Good, yeah. Recognizing it's a reality and it can happen to you. Okay, good. What else? Who pays for it? Good. What else? Okay, so if we answered all of those questions, would that be a good session today? Yeah? Okay, awesome. So before we jump in and my panelists come up, let me give you a couple of quick announcements so I don't forget. Uh, Bill brought to my attention that uh, on the evaluation form, we have some dates that are wrong. So uh, on the evaluation where you can register for next month, right above the little box at the bottom, it says Thursday, July 11th, and Tuesday, July 23rd. Well, if you register for those, you've missed them because they're this month. So you really need to change those for next month. They're August 8th and August 20th. And the topic is going to be the truth about your aging brain. And we have a physician and a couple of other folks coming to talk about something a little different. We're not just talking about dementia. We're not going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about what happens to our brain as we get older. And um, one other announcement. Oh, two other announcements. I want to thank, first of all, I want to thank Linda Smiley and Francis Baker, who are two of the people helping out today at the registration table. We're a little short-handed today. So can we give uh, Linda and Francis a hand? Just to say that. And then we also had a pretty good shred event a week or so back. How many of you brought shred stuff to shred? Yeah, awesome. We had about 50 people that shredded stuff. So Anya's very happy about that. Right? And uh, so we're going to do that again hopefully in the fall. All right. Okay, so do me a favor. As our panel comes up, what I'm going to do is have you look at your neighbor and tell them, I hope you're around for a very long time. Go ahead, tell them, I hope you're around for a very long time. Awesome. 
Matt and Holly and Amy. Yep. And then Matoya and then Linda. Yeah, awesome. So some of you guys were here earlier when we practiced getting on those director's chairs. So the reason I like you guys to be distracted is because when people get on those director's chairs, it's not always fun to watch. It makes me nervous. We never had anybody fall over backwards, but I, yes, if anybody is, it's going to be bad. Uh, awesome. Okay. So I, I just, I'm really fortunate, and I, I said something earlier today to somebody that when I have something that I don't understand or I feel like I need more information about, I just go ask people. And I thought, you know what, if I have these questions, I bet a lot of other people have these questions too. So as I was interviewing these guys in preparation, they educated me beyond belief on some things I had no idea about. So that's what they're going to do today for you. So I have some questions prepared that I'm going to ask them. And then you guys will have an opportunity, obviously, at the end, like we always do, to ask them questions as well. So um, let me introduce our panelists. So we have with Oklahoma Hospice, who are obviously one of our sponsors that you guys have met before. So we have Matt, and we have Holly, and we have Amy, and we have Batoya. And these folks are all on the Oklahoma Hospice team in different capacities. I'll let you tell, let them tell you what they do here in a moment. And then we also have Linda Sargent. Linda is uh, somebody that who is going to help us with end of life stuff in terms of funeral planning and uh, memorial service planning and pre-planning, really, right? Pre-planning. And uh, I'll let Linda tell you a little bit about her as well. So Matt. Tell us what you do with Oklahoma Hospice so we have some context and a little bit about your history, too, because I think that's important. My name is Matt Jones, and I'm the Director of Community Relations. Uh, my background and, and my purpose or my mission to hospice is to be an educator and just let people know the benefit, and it's available to everyone that's uh, everyone. Um, I've walked both my parents through the life, and I'm married to a widow, so I truly understand um, grief and the and how important this service very important, can be. Yeah. Very important. So it's not for you, it's not just a job. It is my <coughs> mission. Yeah. My uh, passion. It'd be hard to be in your job role without having some passion, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Miss Holly? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Holly. Yeah. Hi. My name is Holly. I am a nurse here at Oklahoma Hospice Care. I manage the graduated <coughs> portion of things. Um, I've been a nurse for a very long time in different capacities, but I've been a hospice nurse for five years, and we started our palliative care program within this previous year, so it's been kind of an adventure. Um, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. Amy? I'm Amy. I'm the clinical liaison. My job is to go out and educate the communities and the facilities and ensure that the clinical care provided in our facilities is what it needs to be. Make sure patients are well taken care of, that the communication's happening between us and the facility themselves. And wait a minute, hang on, don't pass that yet. So you, this is a new role for you. This is a brand Prior new role. Prior to that, what was your role? I was the uh, company educator. I educated our new nurses, trained them. Uh, I've done a little bit of everything. So she's been a trainer and an educator, now they put her in charge. We'll see what happens. We'll see what my name is Matoya. I am one of the social workers at Oklahoma Hospice Care. I serve the West area. Uh, my role is pretty much to be support for the family, helping them guide through community resources, educating them, um, assisting with the life arrangements if need be, um, filling out DNRs, advanced directives. So being that community support for families and guiding them through that process. 
You know, it's funny, just being in your presence, I don't know if you, you didn't hear me say it the other day when we left the meeting when we were preparing, I was like, being in Matoya's presence just calms me. Like, she's got this great, gentle spirit. Yeah, yeah, she is. All right, Linda, tell us a little bit about you. Now, that's the Oklahoma Hospice Crew, so I'm going to kind of say that she's a different organization. These guys all represent the same organization. Tell us a little bit about what you do, Linda. Well, but I am a team player. Yes. So, sorry, I'm going to be. See, I wore my white coat, just like that. Yes, I'm with Directors Life Assurance here in Oklahoma City. And um, doggone it, I've been doing this since I was just a baby. Uh, I've been with this company since 1988. And not many folks get to say that. I was a junior in high school that year. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. And so, um, here, here's the way it goes. Um, I am probably the least uh, funerally yeah. sort of person you will meet, probably like a bunch of y'all. So I always refer to what I do as I help people put the fun back into advanced planning. So there's no sadness, and we provide comfort in advance, so we have conversations about how your family gathers together and the best way to remember you and, and your family traditions. And so we're going to talk about the strategy for that in a minute. Right? Would you all agree that she's probably one of the least funerally people you've ever met? Like, that's a, I love that phrase, right? Yeah. And I don't know if you heard me say this, because the seminar that we did uh, one time where we had Matt come up and speak, I've mentioned, I have a 62-page end-of-life plan as a result of a class I had to take in my doctorate program. And so there is no question as to how my life will be celebrated because I'm still going to speak. Somebody has to speak on my behalf, but I wrote, excuse me, I wrote a speech. And it, you're going to, you know, so if you're there, you're going to sit through a, a, pretty, a pretty lengthy seminar for my celebration of life. I think that's appropriate, don't you? Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. And I, of course, you will be modifying that oh, as we every, go on. Every 10 years. Yeah, because what yeah. I would say now and what I would say 10 years from now would be different. Yeah. We need to always be updated. That's right. Okay. So we're going to start with uh, just some real basic information. And I believe you have a handout at your chair that tells you kind of what I'm going to be asking. So if you want to take notes on that. Um, so the crew at Oklahoma Hospice and Palliative Care, I posed them the question, what is palliative care? Because that was a new word for me recently. I've um, heard of hospice for many years, and we'll talk about that. But what is palliative care? I'll Palliative care is the care that you get before you become hospice appropriate. You can receive palliative care whenever you become hospice appropriate. Okay, stop. That okay. was a clinical term. Hospice appropriate. Yes, meaning that you qualify for hospice services. Okay, so let me stop you then. So tell us what hospice appropriate looks like. How does someone qualify for hospice? We'll go backwards. Then okay. we'll talk about palliative. Okay, so let's start with how do you qualify for hospice? you have to have certain diagnoses that your doctor will give you. So some examples of those diagnoses, uh, COPD, congestive heart failure, renal disease, cancer, things like that, those kinds of diagnoses. Those, well, Holly, would you say that those are things that we're pretty confident that if people have them, they're not coming back from those? Right, they're irreversible conditions. Okay. 
there's nothing you can do about it. Now you can treat the symptoms, but the condition will never go away. Okay, so that's the qualifier, is the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. and you must have the diagnosis. And is there a time frame in that diagnosis to the time that they think that person may not make it? Yes, there is a time frame. Um, they, all of the diagnosis, of course, have a different time frame associated with them. But on palliative care, we usually look maybe becoming hospice appropriate within six to nine months. So tell me now what palliative is. So mm -hmm. what you're telling me is that person has got longer than six to nine months. We right. don't really know how long they have. No, nobody knows how long they have. That's right. one of the greatest myths of hospice. Yeah. Some people think that when you go on hospice, you have two weeks left. That is so not true. We've had patients on hospice for years. Yeah. So it is not the end. It's not, you know, you're signing this piece of paper and then tomorrow will be your last day. Yeah. Or, or even two weeks. Or even, yeah. Yeah, even six yeah. months. Yeah. We, it's almost like a, it's only, I always say it's the only benefit that Medicare has done exceptionally well. Um, so it's almost like a program that you qualify for, kind of like any kind of public program. You know, you have, here's your diagnosis, here's how you qualify, kind of like Meals on Wheels, here's how you qualify, and then you receive the service. So it's not scary, it's just an extra added benefit that Medicare has given you, and honestly, they didn't give you anything. You worked for it, you worked your whole life for that and you should take advantage of it. Okay, so I'm going to rewind the tape, and, and uh, Amy... We're going back to palliative? I'm going to go back to palliative, okay. <laughs> and Amy, you're welcome to jump in here, either any of you are, but I'm going to stick with Holly for a second and say, so we talked about when you qualify for hospice, because earlier you said before you're hospice qualified, you get this thing called palliative care. Right. So tell us what that is. So palliative care is before you're hospice appropriate. It can help you in so many ways. It can help you with end-of-life planning. It can help you with getting all of your affairs in order. It can help you with symptom management. We're always your advocate. Palliative care nurses are always your advocate. Um, and so when would someone get palliative care? When does that seem appropriate? It, it would be whenever your symptoms begin to, honestly, probably when you start questioning, gosh, I probably need to get some more help. That's probably when you're appropriate for palliative care. Okay, so Amy, tell us a little bit about some of the people that are on palliative care services and what they get with that. Uh, with palliative care, a lot of the patients, it's my understanding, Holly, correct me if I'm wrong, is for patients that are, they understand that they may be starting to decline, maybe they're going to the hospital more often, maybe they're seeing their doctor more often, but they're still going to try to maybe do one more round of chemo, or they want to get a dialysis. Hold your mic up a little closer for me, there you go. Okay. Um, they may want to do another round of chemo. They may want to do another they round of chemo. They may want to continue dialysis for a little while longer. They may want, may want to still seek a curative treatment. Then they would be appropriate for palliative care. And you can be on palliative care and still be on home health. And you work with the doctors themselves, the patients' doctors themselves. In the yeah, I, I, um, I kind of identify myself with the puzzle piece put her together. So I can go to your doctor visits with you, because it's really hard to keep up with your oncologist, hematologist, cardiologist, pulmonologist, all these different uh, doctors. All these idgists. Right, right. Yeah. It's very difficult to keep all of that together and straight. 
So that way, at least you have another set of ears hearing what they're telling you. So if you get home and say, now what did he say? You can always call. You know, okay. always call so I'm going to give you a hypothetical, and you guys can tell me. So, um, so my dad has COPD. Right. I'm um, 72 years old. He works still. He has business. Um, you guys know he owns a liquor store in Gary, Oklahoma, right? And he goes to work every day except Sunday. And he, but he's struggling. He's starting to have some symptoms associated with that COPD besides just the breathing problems. Mm -hmm. So he is seeing a pulmonologist and his general practitioner doctor and a breathing specialist and all these different people. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you were to go out and meet with him, somebody from your team, what would that, what would he receive from you first? What would be the first thing that would happen? He would get a nursing assessment first. Okay, and what yeah. does that look like? What does that entail? We come out, um, do a full assessment, uh, head to toe type nursing assessment, vital signs, listening to your lung sounds, uh, looking at your medication lists, how can we improve your life? Is there something that we're missing? Is there something, sometimes you'll find that whenever you get in people's homes, uh, they're more open to tell you things as opposed to at a doctor's office. Like, you know, I actually have been hurting really bad for the past three weeks, but I just didn't want to say anything, or I don't want to have to go back through the doctor's office again, or there's always something I can't get off of work. Right. And the great thing about palliative care is there's no homebound requirement. You don't have to um, be homebound, you know, quote unquote. On home health, you do, there is a homebound requirement. But on hospice, or sorry, palliative care and hospice, there is no homebound requirement. You could work a full-time job, be on palliative care or hospice services. Okay, so then what happens after that nurse's assessment? Let's assume that my dad is doing pretty well, doesn't have a lot of issues. You've assessed his medications, um, you've coordinated his, his doctors and all that. What would he, what would be a reason he might call you guys? Um, Once he's difficulty breathing would be a good reason to call. Um, any kind of symptom that might come up, or just a generalized question. You know, okay. I, yeah. I think my inhaler, I, I don't know if I should take it with this inhaler, do I take it at the end of the day? What do you think? Those kinds of questions. So the questions he calls me about. Right, yes, yeah. And I go, I don't know, let's call the doctor. Right. And so instead I would essentially call you. Mm -hmm. or his nurse that was assigned to him, right? right. Okay. And could I presumably prevent him from having to drive all the way to Oklahoma City, take off work, and go to the doctor? Yes. Because you guys could essentially go out and uh -huh. handle that. Mm -hmm. Wow. How much does that cost? Um, it's actually free. It's a charity that our particular hospice does. Um, it's a ministry of ours, and we do it 100% free. We don't bill. We don't get a dollar for it. Is there an obligation to him to sign up with hospice at some point when he uses that service? No, there's no obligation. Uh, whenever he does become hospice appropriate, of course, I will mention, you know, gosh, we could really utilize more benefits than you're getting. Um, he gets a choice. I have to give him choice. He can go with any hospice he wants to. He does not have to go with our hospice. Or at all. He would have to. Or he doesn't have to do it at all. We can just you know, carry on. How long could he be on palliative care potentially? Uh, we usually try six to nine months. Okay. Hopefully by the ninth month um, you've gotten better or you become hospice appropriate. So here's what happened, uh, and you guys probably hear this a lot, so I talked to my dad last weekend after we all met. And I made a very special appointment to go talk to my dad about this. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I'm sure it went over well. Went by myself. I was prepared. 
hung out for three hours before I finally had the courage to bring it up. And I said, so dad, there's this thing called palliative, and I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, but I have these friends that they do this for a living, and you know, with your COPD, and you've been having to go to the doctor so much lately, I thought they might be able to help. And he goes, what's the name of the company? I, I don't remember. Because I knew if I said Oklahoma Hospice, he would be out, right? He pushed. So I finally said, well, it's this company called Oklahoma Palliative Hospice Care, and I tried to say it really fast. <laughs> and here was his response, very simply, I'm not ready for that yet. And I said, well, Dad, when will you be ready? He said, no, I'm doing okay. I said, okay, and I left it because I thought that was just a seed. I just need to plant a seed because I thought if I pressure, he won't even have the conversation, right? So by understanding this a little bit better today, my hope is that I can help my dad see that this is not a death wish for him. Like, I'm not signing him right. up for dying. It's okay to get better. It's okay to get better. And, and you'll find that patients actually live longer on hospice services than they would any other way. As a matter of fact, 10 to 15% graduate off of hospice. They get so much better, they don't need us anymore, which is awesome. That's the goal. We want you to get better. So we're here for both ways. Okay, so I have a couple of other questions. So we've talked about what is palliative care, what is hospice. Um, Matoya, either any of you guys are welcome to jump in. So when is, uh, what are some of the possible outcomes and services people might expect uh, when it comes to hospice? What are some of the outcomes that you see happen with hospice? Just like what Holly was saying, of course, the patients improve. I mean, if they graduate from hospice, then they can eventually go on to our palliative care side. Oh, so they can go back yes. from hospice back to palliative yes. care? Um, some of the services with hospice that I love that you receive is not only are you getting a nurse, you're getting a social worker, you're getting a chaplain, you're getting an aide that can come out and assist with bathing and things like that. You have a volunteer coordinator that can come as well. So you're getting all these different services that can provide support in the home. It's Does that keep people nurse. from moving? I can see where that would keep somebody from having to move into a nursing community. Yes, because you're getting all that support at home, you know, so it's just not just a family focus on the patient. You have all this additional support that can help too. Now, I know you provide a lot of support to the family. So let's assume it's a husband and wife or a mother, daughter, husband, you know, and their daughter. What would be, what would be the family support? What would they get from that? A lot of it, just emotional support, um, guiding through the system, pretty much of hospice, you know, just being there for them, allowing them to maybe just vent to you, you know, they just right. maybe have a lot of things that they just want to be able to just speak about, kind of relieve to you. Um, we also help with respite care, say if the family gets just, they need a break, you know, so it's one of the things a social worker can do, it just assists with finding a place in a nursing home or assisted living that allows them to have a break for five days. And that's covered through Medicare. If they're not paying out of pocket, um, we assist with the placement, we assist with transportation to the facility, and then also our staff still goes out to see the patient while they're at the respite care. Okay. Oh, I'll add to that real quick. I, I tell people all the time, um, hospice is as much for the caregiver and the family than it is for the patient. So we're there to serve the patient, take care of them, to give the family the support they need, the break, respite, like Matoya was talking about. But it is 50-50 family support versus patient care. Okay, so uh, anything you want to add about hospice before I move on to what happens at that end of life, like that very the last stage of hospice? I think something people don't realize about hospice is all the 
benefits that we haven't mentioned yet, like uh, equipment. Talk about that. What equipment do they get? As we we can get a hospital bed. We can get your oxygen concentrator. We can get all your tubing. We can get you a, a potty chair, a shower chair, whatever. Wheelchairs, walkers, wheelchairs, walkers, and insure. If your loved one has a feeding tube, we will even provide the feeding for that. Your jevity. If you people don't know what jevity is, unless you or have insure. If you're insured. But the tube feeding, if they do have a peg tube, it's very expensive and that's covered under your hospice benefit. Your medications, your comfort medication, pain medications, those are all things that are don't have to come out of your pocket yeah. if you're Medi on hospice. Medications related to your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So if you're on uh, hospice for COPD, you're going to get your medications related to your COPD, pain, um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, anxiety. Those are all covered. That's something that's not coming out of your pocket anymore. I'll add to that. Uh, Incontinence supplies, so diapers, blue pads, wipes, gloves, those are all covered. Um, something else that we do that's pretty unique, um, wound care. So say you have a, a bed sore, we're going to treat you for your bed sore. Um, we don't want you to be in pain. Um, as far as the medications go, say you're on service for cancer and you develop a pneumonia or a urinary tract infection. Let's treat those. Let's uh, let's get you out out of that pain. Is that a misconception that I I've heard? I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I've had people say, okay, now I'm on hospice. I can't get treatment for anything now. I I I have to just suffer till the end. So what you're telling me is, that if somebody has an illness like a UTI or something like that, that you're going to treat that? That's absolutely correct. Let's say, for instance, somebody's on service for uh, for cancer and they uh, they they need. Uh, an antibiotic we're going to provide that say they're on service for cancer and, and, and renal failure and still wanting to get dialysis um, we can make that work so as long as it's not related to your hospice diagnosis we can treat it. you can okay. still see your physicians i mean that's that's a huge misconception okay what other misconceptions are there out there you think any that i've missed well I, I think the timeline is the biggest misconception so yes the doctor has to say that you're going to be in the normal course of your disease process, you would pass within six months. The doctor has to say that, but nobody knows your time or day. So just because you live past six months doesn't mean you lose your hospice benefit. We're gonna to continue to care for you like the ladies were saying. It doesn't matter how long it goes. We just have to certify that you're on a gradual decline. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is ease people down this gradual decline versus an abrupt end. We want you to spend as much time with your families as you can. We want you to do things you want to do for as long as you can. If you want to go out of state, you want to go to California and watch the whales in San Francisco Bay, you know, we're going to arrange with a hospice company in California to see you once every other week while you're out there. And when you come back home, we're going to resume your care here. We want you out and going and moving and having dinner and going to church and doing all the things you want to do. It's not about being confined to your house. It's not they're laying in a bed waiting to die with somebody they're holding their hand. Yes, hospice is more about living than it is about dying. And I understood from Matoya, I think it was the other day, saying you know that there that those plans, like those trips, that the social worker can help people decide how they want to spend those last days and facilitate that. Is that accurate statement? Yes. Yeah, so just going back to if they wanted to take a trip, that's something we would make contact with um, hospice companies in that area. Um, it's a simple process. It's just a phone call. We send over a contract. That way they can still monitor the patient while they're out of our care. And then when they return back, we will resume care like Matt mentioned. Awesome. Then they come home, they crawl back in the bed, and they lay under the covers after the trip. 
No. Right? That, I think that's the vision people have of what hospice is, but it's actually they're living in the process as their disease progresses. Yeah. Linda, did you want to add to that? I see you flinching like you had something to add. Oh. I will just validate yeah. everything that they just said. Because I've worked, remember, I told you I've been around this company since 88. So I can tell you that I visit with people on the telephone who told me 30 years ago that they were on hospice care. And I'm happy to hear from them. So I will validate everything that they said statistically because I visit with folks. So that's important for you to understand that what they're telling you is actually the fact. It's not a sales pitch, really? <laughs> no, the stats will tell us that. Holly, you want I to also add? wanted to add that just because you start on hospice doesn't mean you're married to us. If you want to stop at any point in time, that's fine. It, we, you can revoke, you can start, you can stop hospice. If you change your mind and want to go seek treatment or do whatever you want to do, that is completely fine. You can revoke hospice at any time. You know, it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, you know, I was reading some material before today as, as I was coming, as I always do, just to kind of get my head around the topic. And one of the things that occurs to me is that, you know, prior to today's day and time in healthcare, people could develop an infection. I think they said George Washington developed an infection and died like the next day because people didn't get. We didn't have preventative like we do now. People go in and they find out they have a, a cancer or find out they have a disease and then it's treated for long periods of time. So instead of, like Matt said, an abrupt end, we have a long period of time that we can live with a disease. Is Let me ask this, is HIV on that list? Is it? Yeah, yeah it just not occurred to me. So people with Alzheimer's, dementia, HIV, okay. So I know people with HIV um, that have been HIV positive for many years uh, for various reasons, blood transfusions and, and other reasons. So once they have that diagnosis, they qualify for palliative care. Yep, um, on HIV it has to do with how many T cells you have. I mean, it's very specific on HIV when you qualify. But you'd be surprised at the qualifications. Um, it's pretty early. And so is it my, it's my assumption that the reason that hospice and palliative care is so important is, is it actually lowers the cost of healthcare expenses, yes? Oh my goodness, we can do amazing things. We can go to your house and do a chest x-ray right there in your house. You don't have to go to the doctor, you don't have to go to the ER. We can send you an antibiotic out, we can get the chest x-ray read. You're still at, at home in your jammies. You're not going anywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's crazy the Six. things that we can do. Huge we can do lab draws, um, whatever you need specifically. Yeah. yeah. Let, me, let me tell you a little bit about uh, another process and the way it works. We're a licensed hospice company with a licensed hospice pharmacy. Say, for instance, you have a pain crisis in the middle of the night. We call our physician. Our physician gets online, does an e-scribe, she sends it to our hospice pharmacy, and they deliver that medication to your home versus you waiting on the answering service. Next morning, your doctor calls back and says, we'll write you a prescription, come pick it up. You go to the doctor's office, you pick it up. You go to the pharmacy, and maybe by five or six the next afternoon, you're getting some relief when you can have that literally in a matter of an hour or two. And that's one of the huge benefits to, uh, to having this program be on. You know, um, one more question before we go to this last, last section. You mentioned to me that not all hospice companies provide the same services. They're, they're all licensed, 
But you guys, one thing you pointed out, Matt, was beds. That when people have wounds or um, other situations that require a certain type of bed, your company will provide one type of bed and another company may not. Tell me about that's, the differences in that. So all hospice companies are required to follow Medicare regulations. And some of them follow Medicare regulations. I'm going to say all of them follow Medicare regulations. Um, but there are those of us that choose to do a little bit more. And uh, what Nikki's talking about there is, say, for instance, you have a, a bed sore. We provide lower loss mattresses. Um, you know, like we talked about nutritional supplements, those kind of things. Those aren't required by Medicare. It's what we choose to do. The antibiotics are not required by Medicare. It's what we choose to do because we want the patient to be as comfortable and live as happy and healthy as they can for as long as they can. And is that true of, so you guys are a for-profit company. Yes, absolutely. But not there are not-for-profit hospices, there and are. there are for-profit hospices. That isn't a for-profit, not-for-profit thing. That's just a philosophical thing. Yeah, that's our culture. Um, okay. we, we want to do what's legal and moral and ethical for the patient. And a lot of that has to do with leadership, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So we'll get into that here in a minute as we have time. So last set of questions I have really is about this end-of-life thing, because this is where my real aha came up, was when people die at home, because I've had people tell me when we go to talk to them about the wife wants to move to uh, Spanish Cove and the husband says, no, I'm going to be carried out in a what? Pine box. Pine box. <laughs> well, my question is, does that really work? Can they really be carried out in a pine box and is it that simple? So, I want to talk about what is the procedure of if somebody does die at home, she does smother him with the pillow at home so he can be carried out in a fine box. He's on hospice because we knew that the diagnosis was terminal because she told us she was going to smother him with the pillow. I'm just joking. Okay, so let's say someone does have cancer, right? No, no jokes about that. They do have cancer and, and they know they're going to pass with hospice at home. What happens in those last uh, moments, hours, whatever the case might be? Tell me the procedure. So if our nurse recognizes that a patient's gonna pass very soon, and the family, or the family can even call, we're, we're available 24 hours a day. I've gone out all hours of the night for one of these situations, and sometimes we can get there, the family can catch it, think, hey, I think they're going. We'll send a nurse out. We don't care what hour it is. Or if they've already passed, our nurse will go out, and our nurse will take care of everything. What does that mean? Everything. I mean, they will do. They will do. Clean the body. Look at it presentable for the family. We'll provide emotional support. We will call the, the funeral home. If you don't have a funeral home, we will find one for you. We'll do vigil care. If the patient is passing, may not be immediate. We'll send someone out to help be there with them. It's an overwhelming time for the families. We try to take as much of that off of you as we can. And so how long can that take if someone calls you and it's a day that somebody's you know, in that stage of passing? How long will the hospice team stay there? As long as we need. I, I personally have stayed from 7.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the afternoon. It's just, we do what we can. Yeah. So what about the doctor? Somebody has to call that, right? Somebody has to say, call. the person is passed. How does that work? Uh, the nurse will call the doctor and say, here's what I've seen, here's how long it's been, and the doctor will give us the okay to release the body. And then what happens? The nurse will stay with the family and continue providing the support, continue being there until the funeral home comes. 
And if there's no funeral home for them to call, you told me this last week. We find one. You make those calls. The nurse finds one. How long can that take? It's the, I've spent three hours once finding one. So do the police show up and do an investigation? No, or? no. We save you the, the heartache of calling the cops. No one wants the cops to roll up on their house in the middle of the night. It's just, yeah. you know, we save you that trouble. Okay, so Linda, what happens if they don't have hospice uh, and someone passes in their home? Right. So I experienced that as a daughter. So the first thing that we did, we called the police, and that's what you need to do. Um, if you're not under hospice care, you call the police. If you call a local funeral home, then they will uh, say, call the police, or they will assist you in small communities, they'll call yeah. the police for you. So always remember that. Um, what happens when the police come? Why? What are they doing and what, what's the purpose for the police? Well, they're investigating if there was, uh, pardon the expression, any hanky-panky. Like a pillow. Like a pillow. Right. right. Well, Chris will be watching out. Please, please. Um, no, no, he's going to take a deep dive to the bottom of the ocean. I'm going to cut his air supply. That's how that works. We already figured that out. The cruise So if it is a situation where you have had hospice and they're not there with you at that moment in time, you can ask the emergency services uh, I would always call the hospice, whoever you're working with, but let's just say daughter came to town and she uh, is freaking out. Uh, and that's what we do sometimes. We just freak out over these situations and that's always understandable. Uh, take a deep breath, call the police or call your hospice, and then you'll need to decide which funeral home firm that you're going to contact. So then what would you say percentage-wise people out there actually have that figured out and pre-planned versus the people who figure it out in that moment they go, uh, now what? And they have to start figuring it out. Well, let's take a sample of this group. Uh-oh. Truth. All right. All right, so we'll see how how, how good your our room. stats are. I bet this room, this room is far more educated than any other room you've ever right. been in, Linda. That's right. Just saying. So we might see 25% in this room. How many people in this room have pre-planned their funeral or end-of-life ceremonies with the funeral home? Raise your hand. With everything, funeral home, burial, etc. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and the other kudos to the men in the yeah. room because uh, ladies, as we all know, the guys, and so you all get. A standing ovation yeah. for being here today. Yay. Well, and the wives get a standing ovation for making their husbands do it. Okay, so it, you know we make jokes about this, but there are some gender norms, and some of you are the exceptions to the rule, and we appreciate that. But by and large, historically, men are the slow to plan people. Um, my dad always says, Nikki, it'll be all right. That's his famous phrase, it'll be all right. I'm like, no, it won't. It'll be all right for you because you'll be dead. I'll be dealing with it. <laughs> right? So it's better to do it in advance, have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, the probably in, in your chairs, you'll see a little handout. We are a culture that we're not communicating to our families, traditions, and history. 
And there is information that is of the utmost importance to share with your family. Maiden name of your parents, of your mom, is very important. There's vital information that's required for a death certificate or for an obituary. That's part of advanced planning. Does the hospice, I'm going to ask real quick, does the hospice team help with those kinds of things with families, Matoya? Yes, we do assist in that area also. Um, typically, we all carry um, a funeral list for all the local funeral homes. So we can always sit down with the family and help them navigate through the funeral homes in their area, selecting and making those arrangements with them. And writing the obituary? Well, I have not done it before, but I'm sure we will be able you to would, do it. You would if somebody yes. asked you, but yes. the problem is that people don't want to do it right that moment, do they? Correct. Right. So, Linda, uh, you so guys we can help people. Right. Write the obituary, gather all of the information, uh, share, guide with you what type of service or... Linda, I'm going to stop you for a second because I want to I want to rewind the tape. Tell them exactly what your, what do you call them, planners? Advanced planners, Advanced some people you'll hear they're called pre-need advisors. How many of those do you have? Across the state, probably three or four hundred of them. And yes. you told me you would hand select the ones for mm -hmm. our group that for are For your group, it will probably, I'll be working with our advanced planner, uh, and you would choose, would guide you, select a funeral home of your choice, and then I would work with you and the advanced planner. Yeah. Now Linda was told, just like all our panelists are, that she can't sell from a stage. So that's why I'm asking her this, because what I want you guys to understand is that she has people out there in the field who help people pre-plan. You may remember that last year we had a sponsor uh, with Dignity Memorial, right? We had Dignity. We've had other people that want to sponsor, and Linda doesn't represent any of those funeral homes per se. She has an insurance product that helps ensure our insurance products fund your advanced plan yeah. your pre-arrangement yeah. whether that's whoever you want to be with whoever you want to be with because we work with local funeral homes all over our state and i like that idea so my dad i told her you know my dad uh, had said that he would want to be handled by turner funeral home which is in gary oklahoma right and that's the family funeral service that everyone has always used they know the family is he could probably write a better obituary than i could for him because he knows and funeral well. directors they do get right the obituary and so but my dad hasn't prepaid that and so therefore i would need to make those arrangements upon his death but if he's done all this work and and prepared all that and funded it then it's and really he one phone call to. is it one phone call then it is one phone call to you guys no to the funeral home oh okay is you call the funeral home so you have a seamless let's just say we have hospice and you would tell hospice which funeral home you have chosen and then they would call that firm and all of your plans would already be gathered together the firm would have all the documentation the firm would file the claim with our company and it's a seamless transaction. I wouldn't have to pay out of pocket for that funeral no, because that money has already been allocated. We've already set it aside. Got it. Because we've planned it in advance. Okay, so a couple more questions here. Last question, I'm gonna open it up to y'all. What documents should people have, whether they're on hospice or not, available in their possession as someone is going through those last stages in their life? What documents should they have on hand? Social security numbers should be readily available 
your full name, your legal name. All that stuff on the left-hand side of that document, right. right? Everything okay. on the left-hand side of the document that you have in your chairs. Now, what paperwork will you guys have as a hospice team for the medical stuff that needs to happen, for the doctors, for the... We definitely have, uh, we suggest that our families have their DNR in place if you not resuscitate in the home. Um, we actually give a document where they can put it on their refrigerator so everyone that comes into the home knows that they have one in place. So definitely having a DNR um, that's visible for everyone as far as um, also having your advanced directive, um, having a copy of that or if you have any power training uh, documents too. Okay. Um, where's Marilyn? Can I tell your story real quick, just what you shared with me? So Marilyn, you know, as you all know, she lost her mom not long ago. And uh, she's been in this industry and in this business and she's gone through this with so many people. And she shared with me that she didn't have her mom's DNR paperwork out, like it wasn't on the fridge, right? And if I get this wrong, it jumped out there. And when they came, she wasn't on hospice, and she passed, you know, peacefully uh, in their home. And when the police came, they wanted to see the DNR. And Marilyn knew she had it, but she had to go fishing for it in the file cabinet because her mother was meticulous about keeping things in order. And she knew approximately where it was, but she was having to go find it. And but by the grace of God, the police officer was very empathetic and um, in helping Marilyn make that happen. But can you imagine here your family member, whoever that might be, your loved one just passed, and you're frustrated already having to do all this in the middle of the night to try to find that document? And so what I love about these people on the panel is that they know everything that needs to happen so that when that occurs, you're not having to interview the police officer, you know, with them and explain to them what's going on. You actually get to start the grieving process. And how many people do you know who delay the grieving process because they're having to make arrangements for funerals, yeah? Most of them, yeah. I will, I will say, I want to reiterate, DNRs, they're not required, but what happens when you don't have one is something that nobody really wants to experience. So you call the police, say my loved one's just passed, they call 911, the ambulance shows up and they start uh, doing chest compressions, breaking ribs, you know, putting uh, cardiac drugs directly into your heart. It is a, it is a, a, it's not a pleasant experience. Are they required to do that, Matt? Yes, they are. They are required. If there's no DNR, they are. So you may be there, you may be looking over your loved one saying, they don't want this, they don't want this, but if you don't have that document, they by law have to resuscitate. You can revoke a DNR too, right? You absolutely can. So you can have one and then you start feeling better and you can say, you know what, I really think I'm gonna discontinue the DNR. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Anything else like that that we need to know for the end of life stuff? Oh, I mean, just like Holly was saying earlier, all this is your choice, it's your personal choice. As long as you're able to make the decision for yourself, you can choose to accept, you can choose to revoke, you can choose whether you want to be an R, you can choose whatever you want. It's up to you, unless you have a legal guardian, then it, it's their decision. If you've been deemed incapacitated to make decisions on your own, it's your decision whether you want to seek treatment, whether you want to seek hospice. So if I have you, it in my trust, if I have it in my trust under my healthcare stuff that I want hospice, should I be diagnosed with a terminal illness that required that I was incapacitated for whatever reason, whether I'm unconscious or cognitively impaired, 
can you guys operate on my trustees, my durable power of attorneys, which is based Absolutely. on my trust? Yeah. That's exactly what's the plan. So it's called pre-planning, yeah? Pre-planning. Again, 62 pages of that, plus my trust. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to questions. Are y'all ready? All right, I saw her hand up first, and then I'll catch you guys, and then I'll come over here. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Something that a lawyer told All right, you ask, well, lawyers, you know, they think they know everything. So you ask, and we'll tell Steve that he has to refute anything that the lawyer said. Is the DNR that you signed with your doctor, is that definitely good? Is the DNR that you signed in your, with your doctor at your doctor's office, at what point would that have been signed, you think? Okay, so when you're in the doctor's office one day, you sign a DNR, uh, is that valid in, in the, at forever? Is it valid forever? What, let me ask this before y'all answer. What did your attorney tell you? He said that I really needed him to. Needed oh, the attorney to. Of course, to yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. All right, ladies. It, it's valid as long as you have a physician signature on it. Um, there's also where you can just need two witness signatures and then the date on it. And then, of course, if you sign where the other individual is to sign it. So it's so valid as long as you have that physician signature. You don't technically need an attorney to fill one out. I want to add to that. Well, where is the DNR? Where is that document? The doctor has it. So what happens if you're at home? or your person that has the DNRs at home, and like Matt says, there's an emergency, that DNR at the doctor's office is doing nobody any good. Yeah. Where should it be, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, you In plain sight. Yeah, you need your, your next of kin, your children, whoever, need to know where those documents are, or they can move a folder, or have them in a binder. Um, like the gift book, you know, that we've been talking does. about. Yes. Um, there it is right there. Yeah. Have have those, let people know where those are so they're not digging through, you know, file cabinet after file cabinet looking for them. You gotta have that stuff organized. And if someone's really towards the end and you know it's coming, then on the refrigerator is not a bad idea. Not on the end of the bed. Yeah. Now if you're just living life and you don't know, then you may not want to splash it on your refrigerator, like you said. Yeah. But right. it does need to be accessible. We do we do make a and, and I've seen several several different companies do it. Um, it's called a stop sign. So we put stop signs up in the home, maybe on the back of the front door, on the refrigerator, wherever. And it says, it's for an emergency uh, personnel, yeah. personnel. It says stop, call you know, Oakland Hospice or call whoever hospice first. And then yeah. we can say, yes, they have a DNR. Yes, this is where it's supposed to be. So they don't have to guess. No guess. Right? Because the police officers and fire department, they don't want to do they that. They have to, to do their job until they know otherwise. That's right, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so the question is, how is a hospice paid for for people who are on Medicare Advantage plans? Good. So, you guys about that's an awesome day. question. Yeah. Medicare Advantage plans do not have a hospice benefit. But. But, <laughs> it immediately reverts back to Medicare, and Medicare pays that on the Advantage plan. So, Matt, you told me that people sometimes will ask their insurance person do I have a hospice coverage if they're on Medicare Advantage? The, the insurance person may say, no, it's not covered. That's correct. But if they apply for hospice, 
then it reverts to regular Medicare. Medicare. Mm -hmm. So you do have coverage, but just, not through, just not through the Advantage. Advantage plan. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, good. That was a huge one. I'm glad they asked that. Our palliative program, we don't bill, so yeah. it doesn't do matter. Does every hospice provide palliative care? No, ma'am. Okay. And, and the ones that do, they're all different. There's no regulatory body that says your palliative program has to do X, Y, Z. Um, it's basically, uh, you know, what what we want to do, how we want ours to look. A lot of them are overseen by a nurse practitioner. Ours is overseen by a physician. I mean, it's just. Can I, can I call it something? Y'all can tell me if I'm wrong, but I was thinking about this after we talked the other day, and I thought, you know, palliative care for you guys is like a loss leader. Okay, now, I know that sounds terrible, but let's just, this is a truthful conversation, right? So if someone signs up for you guys for free palliative care, the presumption is at some point if they need hospice, they'll choose you, right? We would hope so. You would hope so. You don't have to. No. But it makes sense. So what they're doing, I think, is amazing. It's brilliant from a business strategy standpoint, but it's also a service strategy standpoint, isn't it? So it can be mission-driven, and it can also be just a matter of we do free stuff for people, and then when they need to sell their house, guess what? They'll hire us. Oh. So I just want you to be aware, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing what no, y'all are doing, but I want to be clear about how that works. I think a little piece we missed earlier on the palliative talk is the fact that we can come into, so say for instance, you can be in a hospital, you can be in a skilled nursing facility, you can be on home health, or you can be on hospice. One of those four things at a time. With our palliative program, we can go into the hospital if you're going to be coming home uh, on hospice. We can start you on palliative care in the hospital and help with that transition. If you're in a skilled nursing facility, we can start you on, on palliative program and transition you to hospice when you get home so you don't fall through the cracks. There's so many people that get dropped because they don't know what the next step is and they fall through the cracks and they're the family has not known what to do what's next you know you told me one day when we were talking about this that when someone discharges from the hospital or skilled and they go home that if they're on palliative care or hospice you guys order their meds ahead of time and that when they get home presumably they're they're available to them rather than the family having to call because you don't get to take your meds from the hospital sure yeah, we, we want we want it to be a seamless transition. Yeah. When somebody's coming home from a facility, we would love to have medications in place. We want to have medical equipment in place. We want to have a nurse there waiting so we can transition you and get you comfortable. We're, you know, four hours later coming back and, you know, getting you all out of bed. Perfect. I mean, the worst place to get rest is in a hospital. We oh, want you to get home and get comfortable with the rest. I saw one more hand over here, and then I'm going to go to this side. Uh, yes, ma'am. Where can you get a DNR form other than a doctor's office? You can actually find a DNR form online, um, the Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Okay, where do you find a printed document that you don't have to go online for, Matoya? This is a test. <laughs> it is a test. Um, maybe your local library can assist with printing one off um, and give you a copy of that. Hang on, Marilyn. Area Wide Aging. Area Wide Aging Agency, Linda. The advance directive is by statute the same for everyone. So if you go to your local attorney, if you go to your local attorney, he's going to use the same form as you get at the public library. There you go. So um, we can provide them if you want to next month. Uh, happy to bring some. And now obviously it's going to have to be signed by somebody and notarized and all that stuff. You have some in the car? 
Brilliant. Well, here's what we'll do. As soon as they finish with their panel, one of them is going to run to the car, and they're going to bring them and put them back there at their table, and it's first come, first serve. Not everybody's going to get to have a DNR today, folks. Not everybody gets a DNR today. How many times have you ever heard somebody say that? In but we promise we will make sure you get a DNR if you want one. Sorry. I thought that was funny. Well, I know you're going to the next side. I'm going this side, yes. Okay. Uh, I saw back here, and then I'll get yours, Bill. Yes. It sounds like we have to ask for the services. What if I have somebody in my family who needs it, and they're not able to do their own asking? And exactly what do you mean by asking? How formal is that? Good question. Okay. So the question is, it sounds like we have to ask for these services, so how do we do that? And what if there's somebody who really can't, on their own behalf, ask for Right, them? so what my job is to go out and educate the community. So you would contact me and you'd say, hey, I have my sister who is in this condition, X, Y, Z. So basically I interview you, I get the information we need, then we need to request medical records from her physician to make sure she qualifies for hospice and get a doctor's order. Now we require a doctor's order for both palliative and hospice care. So we will request the order, and then we will send our nurse out to do the uh, evaluation for admission. Matt, do doctors generally and nurses Absolutely just, not. They're not good at telling people about hospice. Uh, they don't want to have that conversation. It's a difficult conversation to have, and a lot of times our physicians, especially, I don't want to talk bad about oncologists, but uh, they do, specialists do not want to write that order or tell that patient, you know, we have done everything we can. It's giving up, isn't it? Um, and, and that's the thing is they consider it giving up and we consider it transitioning to a higher level of care. You're going to actually get care not only for the patient but for the family. This book goes it into is. so much detail about that, guys, and I can't even tell you, it really enlightened me as to the health care and it's no fault of their own. I mean, doctors are taught by trade in medical school to continue treatment as long as humanly possible until that patient says no, they're gonna keep going. And again, that is patient's choice. Yeah. Um, okay, so I saw Bill, and then I'll get you, and then Eddie, when you get a chance, I'm gonna have you come up here. Bill? Yes, you should do that. Uh, my opinion is you should do that because if not for yourself, for your family. Um, oh, sorry, thank you. Yeah. So, should you do a prepaid funeral plan? Uh, now, I'm going to defer to Linda to talk about because here's the difference. And let me see if I'm right. And you tell me. You can go to a funeral home and do a prepaid funeral plan through a funeral home or company of funeral homes. Or you can go through an organization like Linda's and you can pre-plan there and they communicate that plan with the funeral home of your choice. So Linda, do you have any advice for them on how to research those various options for pre-planning? Well, it is a regulated business through the Oklahoma Insurance Department and then also the Federal Trade Commission uh, provides rules and regulations for that as well as the Oklahoma State Board of Funeral Directors and Embalmers. So those three entities in our state regulate that. 
And so there is a lot of uh, regulatory oversight. Uh, so to pay for a funeral in advance is done two different ways. Okay. If I may explain. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, funeral homes, you've heard about funeral home trusts. That's where they take your funds for your prearranged service and they hold it in trust for you with a local bank. Or you can entrust an insurance company to hold those funds. You are issued a policy and you have an additional layer of protection uh, with the Oklahoma Insurance Department. And um, while it's not a reason to or um, but you have that additional protect, protection of the guarantee fund. So you've got a lot of oversight for the consumer. Now, beyond money, mm -hmm. you know, you and I talked about... The most important thing is to have a plan. Yeah. Now, what, let's define plan. That means your plan may or may not include uh, funding it at this moment in time. You can fund it at any time you wish. The most important thing is for you to identify which funeral home firm you want your family to call. That's very important. Usually you pick somebody that's close to uh, your home. That's been tradition. Somebody that you have experienced their services before. You enjoyed what they did for a friend or a family member. Okay, Linda, stop. What if I don't want a funeral home involved? Because I don't really, I don't want a funeral home. You know home. what? We still have to have someone who holds a funeral home establishment license. There you go. Okay. So then That's the bottom line. Pine box, baby, backyard. Pine, pine box. Does exist. <laughs> or, I just want, how many times have you heard this? I just want to be cremated. Yeah. Well, you still have to have a funeral home to come take you into their care and uh, do the procedure, the process of the cremation. So that's the planning part. So that's the planning part. So it's part. two so phases, planning and then funding. That's right, but it's gathering the information so that, you know, there is a legal document, the death certificate. Your family's not going to get any of the insurance benefits that you've worked so hard for. Uh, through the years, you paid for a $100,000 life insurance policy. Unless you have a death certificate, well, working with the doctor, working with a local funeral home, you have to go through that. Right. To sell the house, by the way, right. for your parents, you have to have the death certificate. We just had one last week that we sold the client's house. The mom died while the house was being sold. The son had to get the death certificate. All of those things have to happen through proper channels, so the pre-planning essentially tells your family, your, the people in charge of that, whoever that might be, or your attorney, whoever it is, how to move forward with Right, that. and you can put in your in your will, you can put in your trust document, how you would like to be cared for. Yeah. They, you know, Bye so. guys, thanks for telling me you're leaving, I appreciate you. Y'all have a great day. <laughs> they told me ahead of time they had to leave, so I told them I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> To Bill's question real quick, the money thing, what I found, my grandfather, I remember my grandma and grandpa, when my mom died, she was 31, I was 11, and I remember my family picking out caskets for my mom. Now I was just a kid, but I remember my grandpa, later they said he spared no expense. 
he spent somewhere around 30 grand on a casket for my mom. Then we went to the funeral home. I know that's crazy. You know that would pay for most of my college. Then when my grandpa passed, my two uncles and I were charged with picking out the casket. And I had one uncle who was very frugal, the older uncle, the younger uncle who will spend whatever money you want on anything. And then you got me in the middle going, what would Papa want? Well, Papa's the Cadillac version kind of guy. And so we spent Cadillac money on Papa's funeral. I don't know what Papa would have wanted. I really don't know. I was guessing. But do people spend more or less when they're emotionally charged? They spend more. Or, you know, if, if they don't like you, they spend less. <laughs> He passed at 48 for prostate cancer. Um, she spared no expense. And uh, weeks after the funeral, regret it. Because, I mean, the realization is, you didn't do what you want to do for your loved one, but we're talking about a, a, a boss that's going in the earth, and that person is not there anymore. So. And the pine is, doesn't exist. People say no. they want to bury the pine box. There is a pine box. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, there's really a pine It has to go in a, in a, in a concrete Not thing. necessarily. No? No. It depends upon the cemetery that you're using as to whether or not you need an outer burial container. So is that part of the pre-planning? That's exactly yeah, part of the pre-planning. See, you would have so much fun with me, we would just be giggling and laughing. You know, we, we went to, uh, when I was in my, in my bachelor's program for gerontology at SMU, I had to go tour a, uh, a funeral home, which I'd been to many, so it wasn't a big deal. But many of the students when I didn't, had never been in one. And we're looking at caskets, and we're pricing them. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And so I walk over to the wall of urns, and I'm like, well, I'm going to be cremated, so I'm just going to look at urns. And I picked up an urn, and I went, <laughs> the urn was almost as expensive as the casket. So what you are able to do in advance, and you know what? Next time I want to be on the front end of okay. this, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because... We should be visiting about these things of what you would like when, pardon the expression, when you have, and this isn't very sensitive, but you know, I'm a witty person, when you have your wits about you. Yes. That's when we, because we make financially wise decisions, and we can consider all, everybody in our family and what their emotional needs are. And by the way, then, if you do inner hospice and you've done all that pre-planning, you can actually focus on healing. Or That's you can focus exactly on living. Right. Or you can focus on trying to support when do When do family uh, uh, arguments occur? When do family be become? Mama loved this song. I have seen knockdown, drag out conversations uh, when over a song. And it's because they're tired. They've been caring for mom, and now we're going to have a blow up 
and the sisters aren't going to speak to one another for the next five years because they got upset over amazing grace or the old rugged cross. Mine's going to be from the like, soundtrack Wicked. <laughs> How appropriate. Okay. Uh, Define gravity, by the way. They should still work, I believe, with it having access on your phone. I also know families who carry copies in their car of the hard document as well. But even having on your phone would also be acceptable. Make sure someone knows your passcode to your phone. <laughs> and the password to your safe, frankly. The code to your safe if they're in your safe. Don't put your uh, pre-planned plan or some of your documents in the safety deposit box because there are folks at bank that read all the obituaries. That's their job. And so that can create a real... Yeah. Guys, I want you to, this is a shameless plug for Villages OKC back here, our not-for-profit group that is newly formed and amazing momentum with them is they've created this product. Marilyn Olson, I'll give her huge kudos. It's called The Gift. And if you remember back when we did a seminar back at the Health and Wellness Center, she brought it with her, her real one that she had used. And it was this big binder full of stuff, and she held it up, and I went, oh, this is brilliant. Well, they're doing organized <coughs> workshops around that now so that people can create that binder for their own family, either for yourself or for someone else. And it's part of the Villages OKC program. Uh, there are different people offering it. But please go back, and they've got a copy of it back there at the end of the day today. Because all of these things need to be included in some sort of place. And you can scan all those documents, put them in your phone. But then there's still that physical binder for those of, for those people who no longer look at their computer or a digital device. Yep. OK, so we got time for a couple more questions. Yes, sir, back here. And then I'll get yours, and then I'll come back over here. Hey, Joy. Yes.
Thank you. So Linda, I'm just going to have you, did you hear that? So the comment was rather than getting an insurance check, cashing it yourself, and then utilizing that money for end of life funding, whatever you may need, then you may have to pay taxes on that money versus if you were to have an insurance policy assigned to the funeral home, for instance, there's no tax. Can you verify yeah, that? Um, my, and if there's an attorney in the room, but life insurance proceeds are typically not taxed. So, but when, burial, yes, burial insurance, when a funeral home receives the funds to pay for your care when you pass on, or your service or cremation or a memorial service, whatever, that is not taxable. There is a tax on the merchandise that you purchase, but when you plan for it in advance and you pay for it in advance, we typically will set aside funds to offset whatever tax is at the time that the services are delivered. Okay. So yes, it, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. All right. It was a statement. Yeah. Uh, yes, back here, and then I'll get Joy, and then I'll come back over there. Yes. because they did have two people on the safe deposit box, and Curtis can probably talk more to this, but 
um, one of the persons passed away first. And then when the second person passed away, the bank said, no, nobody's getting into it. So how did it eventually get into? We had to, first we had to get the death certificate from the first person that passed away, and that took three months because there wasn't a family member that we could locate to get the death certificate. So, um, yeah, and then usually if one of the persons passes away, it's just almost impossible to get into that safety deposit box. No, it's so I always tell people, don't put stuff in your safety deposit box. <laughs> At least your plans. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Do you guys hear that? That's spoken from experience. Can you want to stay up here, Steve? Yes, ma'am. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Hang on. I promised Joy twice, and then I'll come back over there. When does a death become a medical examiner situation? Anytime that they pass away without a hospice provider. If you pass away in your home and you have no hospice provider, it will become a medical examiner situation. Or if you have a neighbor who is a physician, in my case, there, the neighbor was a physician. He lived across the street. My dad passed at home in the backyard suddenly, day after Thanksgiving. The doctor came across the street, looked at him uh, and at the police officer and said, I will sign off on this. And so, but that is very rare. Yeah, I was going to say, and you're going to need to move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very, very rare. Uh, Steve, do you, is there anything you can add to that, or do you have any? No, okay. Uh, Joy, did you have a follow-up? Even if you're not on hospice, it immediately takes over the medical care. If you're not on hospice, yes. If you are on hospice, we can pronounce you and do all of those things. That's why you're going to call the police. Yeah, that's why you call the police, because they have to sit on a medical examiner to rule out foul play. If you're not on hospice. If you if are on hospice, it's us. Yes, even if the physician expects it. Yes, that's correct. They have to rule out foul play. Even if it is an expected death, it still has to be gone over by the medical examiner. Guys, I think of all the things, Joy, that was my aha the other day, was I, when I talked to Marilyn and she said that those cops were in her house for, what, three hours or something? Yeah. Four. Three yeah. hours. Three hours. The cops were in her house. Her mother, how old was your mom, Marilyn? 104. 104 years old, died peacefully in her sleep. Do you think at 104 we're kind of thinking that's going to happen at some point? And they still had to do their due diligence because of people like me who say they're going to put a pillow over their husband's faces. So I'm just saying to you that you have to know that even if you have the best of intentions, guys, even if you have the best, it's not that Marilyn's mom, she probably wouldn't have qualified for hospice, would she? Because she had no real medical issues, right? Or no diagnosis that would warrant that? She would have. Okay, so she would have. So, note to self, 104, I probably could qualify for hospice. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Because my lesson learned is that I would want to have hospice in my home so that my family doesn't have to go through that. That's just me, not everybody's gonna want that. John? Way to think of it is, is maybe easier for you if you look at it like this. At end of life, if the death is not witnessed by a certain medical professional, could be hospice, could be a doctor, 
could be in a nursing home, they are in at the nursing home. If it's not witnessed by a medical professional, that's when the medical examiner comes into play. Okay, so if it's not witnessed by a medical professional who can attest to it being a legit reason for death. Yes, okay, yeah. Uh, 
you're going to live until you die. Think about that just a minute. Now then, it's how are you going to live until you die? It might be a two-week period. It might be a two-year period. But you better think about those things. When you're selling a house, it's always you can get more money when you want to sell it and have the time than when you have to sell it and are in a bind. I'm going to use that. Okay. There you go. Okay, so... Uh, you're going to do this, so take charge of how and when you do it the best you can. Um, I'm a student in the Keys for a couple of years. I was fortunate to have a hospice here a year and a half ago when I lost my wife. I didn't know Linda was going to be here tonight. She didn't know I was going to be here. but. Uh, I've known her since 1988, and I knew her daddy a long time before that. I didn't know I was here. So uh, what they're doing is they're telling you the, the truth. Uh, I will hang around for a few minutes if anybody does want to ask me any questions. I was in the funeral business most of my life. We uh, retired in uh, 2002, and uh, I sold uh, uh, some funeral plans that were sponsored by her company, and she got some of my money right now. <laughs> so, uh, a year and a half ago, I lost my wife, and uh, we had gone and picked out the funeral home of our choice, and we pre-planned it. We went there, we had the funeral, the funds was there, it was taken care of, so, I'm just telling you guys that I'm one of you. I'm not in the funeral business now, I'm not in the hospital business now, and I'm not a teacher. But don't procrastinate. Thank you.